The reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1. You may find it in your pew Bibles on 1184. Living as those who made alive in Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once walked and lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another and all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs, the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm sure you all know Ben. <laughs> and uh, if you don't, then uh, have a chat with him afterwards. But I'm just going to pray for him before he preaches. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Ben. Thank you for the way that you have called him and drawn him to serve you in this place at this time. And we pray that you would anoint him and inspire him with your word for us today. May your heart be in his and may he speak your truth for us today. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So this morning, we're looking at living a life of worship. Um, but I thought it would be quite helpful, before we get started, to have a little, little look at that word, worship, and what it means to us. As a musician, 
guitarist. I sometimes conf- I confess that sometimes I fall into the trap of defining worship purely in a musical way, whether that be privately at home, corporately here with you guys. But I know that music is much, much more than just music. We cannot limit the definition of worship to a single act, place, or act or place, sorry. Worship uses every means and expression available to us through all kinds of gifts, music, instruments, movement, art, colour, light, sound and language. It is also not restricted by place. John writes about an encounter with the Samaritan, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. She asks him, where should we worship? And he answers, not by saying at the temple or on the mountain. His answer has nothing to do with a physical location or a context. His answer is to say that worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. It has less to do with location and context and more to do with the content of the worship and the heart of the worshipper. On the front doors to this building, as you've been heading out over the last week and a bit, you would have noticed some signs that Tim put up. They say you are now entering a place of worship. Our worship is not confined, limited or defined by one single location. It can happen in all places, in all contexts, at all times. So how do we define worship? One definition could be this. Ascribing worthiness to the one who is all worthy as an attitude of heart, led by the spirit and grounded in truth, finding expression through every means, media and instrument available to us, both intensively in times of consecrated devotion and extensively through a lifestyle of devoting all we are and all we do as a reflection of our heart of worship to him. I want to spend the next part of this talk looking at two of those words, intensively and extensively, and thinking a little bit what that means to us as individuals, but also as members of this worshipping community. Paul writes in Romans 12, which we heard last week, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Eugene Peterson in the method, the method, <laughs> the message, paraphrases, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. To enable the life of worship that Paul is talking about, an extensive worship lifestyle. We need to spend precious time with God, worshipping intensively. Time where God receives our exclusive and intentional attention. This intensive worship requires time, dedicated time and commitment. A good analogy for this picture, and one that the Bible writers use often, is that of marriage. I've learnt over the last almost two years that Laura and I have been married, that marriage only begins with the, um, with the saying of vows. 
Marriage is a commitment of our lives to love each other and grow closer together daily. For this to happen and for love to remain vibrant and alive, it is important and essential that we make time and space to express our love intensively with exclusive attention given to each other in a devoted and unhurried manner. This takes time, commitment, practice, sometimes the busyness of life, a colicky child or being too tired gets in the way. A couple of days can lead into each other and it's not long before you notice the ill effects. And it's the same with our relationship with God. When we spend time engaging in the intensive, exclusive worship of God, similar to the woman at the well, the thirsting of our souls becomes quenched by drinking deeply from the wellspring of life. From this place of worship, our hearts become entwined with his. We become attuned to hearing his voice and feeling his heartbeat. As we intentionally give ourselves the time of intensive worship, where he has our exclusive and deliberate attention, our hearts and minds become captured with his love and presence and we become transformed by the renewing of our minds. This then leads us into a place of extensive worship. As empowered and transformed vessels, we become agents of transformation in the society and culture around us. As we become infused and saturated with his presence by intensively seeking his face in worship, we become carriers of his presence in our day-to-day, hour-by-hour experiences and interactions. Our intensive worship compels us to worship God extensively in all situations, places and contexts. Our intensive worship means that we take on God's heart for those around us, the broken, the weary, the sick, the poor. We become tuned in to his desires for his people. So how can we foster this worshipping lifestyle in our personal lives, our front lines, and corporately as a worshipping community? We'll have four ideas for us to think about. Firstly, set your hearts and minds on things above. Secondly, put to death the wrong things in our lives. Thirdly, put on our new clothing. And finally, let peace rule our hearts. So set your hearts and minds on things above. What are your desires? What are you passionate about? Are they the things that God desires? Are they the things that God is passionate about? Paul earlier in the letter to the Colossians talks about their baptisms. Now he's guiding them on how to live. He tells them in verse 4 that Christ is their new life. He tells... Oh, that's reading that again. Sorry. Their old life is buried with Christ and their new selves has risen with him. So Christ should be the centre of their lives. What is true, to, what is true then was, is still true today. Christ took our old selves to the grave with him and we are raised anew. 
Christ wants our focus not to be on worldly things such as money, power or honour or curtains, cars and clothes. He wants and more importantly deserves our focus. We have to remember of course that God created all the things on the earth so I'm not saying that we cannot enjoy these things but it's when our our focus is drawn away from him and onto these things that's when the problem arises. When our focus becomes about accumulation and protecting what we have rather than on God, we are unable to enter a lifestyle of inclusive worship because our focus will be drawn and divided. This affects us corporately as well. As a worshipping body, we can lose sight of Jesus. Maybe the music is not to our taste. Not enough of this or not enough of that. We forget that our focus should be on higher things. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we can lose our way. Our passion falters and we become discouraged. So secondly, put to death all the wrong things in your life. Our life, my life. (laughs) I'm a not-so-secret gardener. I have a little morning routine where I take the dog out, I water the greenhouse... I do a little bit of weeding and I see what damage the slugs have done overnight. I'm still very much a novice, but I've learned a couple of things over the last few years. The biggest of these is how to deal with weeds. Weeds are plants in the wrong place. They can be beautiful, have striking colour and form, but if they're amongst my broad beans, then they're destined for the compost heap. And I know it's a tired metaphor, but removing weeds is similar to what Paul is talking about in this letter. Weeds restrict. They steal nutrients from good things. They inhibit growth. And they spoil the harvest. The biggest thing I've learnt is that not all weeds are the same. They need treating differently. Some just take a simple pull to remove whilst others need years of careful and persistent removal. I don't know what strikes you personally from Paul's list, but be encouraged and be challenged. As with weeds, no matter what size, they can be beaten. It might take years of careful and persistent hard work, but God is there with you. It might be what strikes you as something small, the removal of which will be quick. But God will be there with you. Maybe, like me, it's big things and little things. But God will be there with you. The most important thing to remember when removing weeds is that you get it all. You remove the root. If you leave just the smallest part, the weed is not truly gone. It will be back, and with a vengeance. With weeds, it's all too easy just to remove the top growth, the leaves, stem and flowers, the things that are visible. But all the weeds have roots. They need careful treatment and removal. I know personally that dealing with the root of things is hard and emotional work. But it is essential if we're to guard ourselves grow and be fruitful 
and prevent those obstacles from us entering into a worshipping lifestyle with God. As a church and as friends of one another, we can help each other with this in our home groups. There is potential for vulnerability, accountability and being courageous in sharing, encouraging and being present in the mess and the sin that we all carry. In grace, in love and in a way that we would like to be treated, we can exhort and call out the darkness we see and bring it to new light. Thirdly, put on new clothes. Paul is explicit when he writes, God has chosen you. He has made you his holy people. He loves you. Therefore, put on these qualities. Sympathize with other people and be kind to them. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with other people. Learn to be friends. Forgive anyone who does something wrong to you. Christ forgave you, so you must forgive other people. Do all these things, but you must put on love, which is the most important quality. Love unites everything. Paul's letter is not just about removing bad things. It's about taking up new, a new lifestyle, a more Christ-like lifestyle. I will not stand here and presume what on that list you need to improve upon. For me, it's a few things. A bit more patience, forgiving other people easily, and I could always do with a bigger dose of love. Importantly, what you need is available to you, and it is freely given. I'm sure we can all be a little more empathetic, a little more humble, gentle and patient. Forgive more easily and love one another a little more. I have, over the last term, with Soul Space on a Thursday night, had the pleasure of hearing members of this community come and share a little bit about their journey with God. And what struck me was that, God, yes, God is in the big and the miraculous, but also God is in the small and incremental changes that we make day by day. Maybe these clothes or these little changes look to you like forgiving a debt to somebody, spending time listening to a colleague without interrupting, sharing your lunch. All of these small actions, while seemingly insignificant, move us subtly more in line with Christ. It's a challenge for us as a wider community. How well do we show love, act humbly, forgive, the church should be a shining light and perfect demonstration of these new clothes. So how can we improve? How can we be more inclusive? How can we forgive more easily? Be gracious. And finally, let peace rule your hearts. So what is the result of these new clothes, these heavenly garments? We have peace, but not just any peace, Peace, Christ's peace. I really do love Paul's writing sometimes. He really does just spell it out for you. Christ gives you his peace, so you should have peace. He goes on to explain his workings out, however. Firstly, always be thankful. It's such a simple idea. Be thankful. 
It's something I forget continually, even though I have so much to be thankful for. Next, let the message of Christ fill your spirit. Let it permeate through you. Meditate on it. Remind yourself of it and what it means and be thankful for it. Be wise and warn each other. Be accountable to each other. Be honest. Be available. Don't be afraid to pick up on things, but do it remembering those garments that you put on earlier. Sing psalms and poem. Finally, some music. <laughs> However, I think this has more to do with being joyful. There's something magical about music, and it has a large part to do with our worshipping life. This is no coincidence. Music has been around as long as humans. Every tribe under the sun has music. We turn the focus of our music to God, to worship him, to attribute him the glory that he's due. Through the words we sing, we thank God, we praise him and we give glory to him. So what does a worshipping lifestyle look like? Well, it looks like devotion to God on a personal and private level. It requires being right with God. Setting your focus on him. Ridding yourself of the evil things in your life. Getting dressed daily in your heavenly garments and being thankful. Worship is the beginning of mission. The result of an intensive worship lifestyle is that worship will happen in your day to day. In short, as we dedicate ourselves to worshipping God intensively with devoted love and attention, we cannot help but worship him extensively in all we do and wherever we go. We learn to develop a lifestyle of worship. So let us pray. With Jesus' help, let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by proclaiming the glory of his name. Let us not forget to do good and to share what we have with those in need, for such sacrifices are very pleasing to God. Amen.